Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. One of the exciting things that uh, happens from time to time is that uh, folks from this church go out into mission. Is Carter with us here this morning? She, he's not. Okay. All right. Well, then uh, we'll skip that for this morning, and we'll hear from him another time. But um, but Carter Losey just got back from a week in Uganda, and uh, and God provided uh, through you all, uh, many of you, to give and to support and to encourage him in that ministry. Uh, life-changing experiences are found when we follow God out into his mission. Uh, a couple other things I want to highlight for you. Small groups are coming up in September. Uh, if you are... Uh, if you are new to Chillicothe Bible Church, or if you are, if you've been here since we moved into this building in 1986, okay, or back before that, uh, we want you to be part of a uh, of a small group. Uh, I think there'll be about six of them going this fall, and uh, opportunity for you to get to know other people, to study God's Word together, to have a community of people with whom you can pray and connect and uh, spend time and build relationships. Uh, it's a great opportunity to get plugged into the life of the body of Christ here. Uh, also, um, you know, just to highlight again our Awana ministry. Uh, some of you have heard me talk about making disciples and uh, making disciples who make disciples and so forth. You know where the, one of the easiest and best ways to do that is? in children's ministry because children are easy to lead to faith in Jesus when they meet Jesus they find the person they have they have been hearing about and looking for all their all their young lives and they come to faith in Jesus quickly and easily and you have an opportunity to lead them to faith and to shape them uh, in the followers of Jesus in a way that is uh, really pretty simple, uh, simply by showing up, loving them, and teaching them God's Word every week. Uh, opportunity to do that. So uh, I encourage you to talk to Josh, talk to uh, Nick Hedden, who is our Awana commander, and, uh, and participate in that ministry. Uh, let's pray, and uh, now let's open God's Word together. God, our Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for the privilege that we have of serving you, being loved by you, and loving you in return. Father, we pray as we open your word here this morning that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit to understand it and to obey it and to, um, and to share it with others. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in John chapter 16 this week, Gospel of John chapter 16, um, and uh, this is part of this big section where Jesus, on the last night of his earthly ministry, is telling the disciples some things that they need to know that they, uh, that they will really only come to understand in fullness after his death and resurrection, but that they need to know beforehand that they, that they not fall away from the faith 
when the crucifixion happens, that they might, may not conclude, well, I guess that was a mistake. I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore because after all, look what happened to him. He's going to tell them all these things that are going to happen and that they're going to understand later after his resurrection. Uh, this is the last night before Good Friday. This is Monday, Thursday. Uh, and Jesus is pouring out into his disciples the things that they need to understand. And one of the things that they need to understand is that Jesus is going away for a while, but that he is coming back. And his, uh, his coming back is going to bring them unstoppable joy. So if, you, uh, if you've got your Bible open there, John chapter 16, beginning verse 16, this is what God's Word says. A little while, and you will see me no longer... And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. So Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer res remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Now, here in these verses, what, what Jesus is doing is giving hope to his disciples. The men who are his closest friends are about to see him killed on the next morning. And he is letting them know what is about to happen. He says in a little while they won't see him anymore. And in a little while they'll see him again. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that on the next day he's going to die. And they won't see him again until when? Until Sunday. Until resurrection day. And he isn't telling them that entirely plainly though. And, and, you know, Jesus is fascinating for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons he is a fascinating figure to, to study and to know is that Jesus doesn't always communicate the way that we think would be a good idea. In fact, what he does is he says these things that seem kind of cryptic, and you kind of scratch your head and go, well, why doesn't he just tell them? And it is because Jesus understands that the truth that you have to dig for and discover is the truth that you remember most deeply. And so he is causing them to have to dig and discover what it is he's talking about. So that they, when they have that aha moment, that it sinks into their heart. What he was telling them was true. And so... He knows that they're, they're chattering behind themselves. Those of you who are teachers, you ever give your class instruction and then have them all kind of back and forth to each other, right? 
or parents do that, right? You give instruction. And rather than ask mom or ask dad what, was, what you were talking about, they talk to each other. And Jesus interrupts that conversation and he says, is this what you're wondering about? Is this what you're wondering about? And he gives them some more information. He says, you're about to weep and lament while the world rejoices. Now, who's the world? Well, the world are the people who are unbelievers who are opposed to Jesus. It's John's term for the realm of the unbelieving. And meanwhile, as the unbelieving rejoice, they're going to be sorrowful. Will these things happen? Yes. They're about to happen on the very next day. The, the religious leaders and many of the people in Jerusalem are going to rejoice as Jesus is put to death. Why? Because they are going to hold to the idea that this man is a charlatan and a deceiver who is leading the people astray and who is going to, if we let him continue in the way that he is going, he's going to lead to the invasion of the Roman Empire and the takeover of our nation again and the destruction of our temple and our religious system. And we can't have that. So the death of Jesus in their terms is a good thing where a wicked man is going to pay for his crimes, according to them. And meanwhile, his disciples are going to be in anguish. Just as you would be if one of your closest friends, the person you had spent every day of your life for the last three and a half years, all of a sudden was publicly humiliated, tortured, and executed in front of you, you would be in anguish. And they're in anguish while the world rejoices. But look at the text again. Verses 20 to 22. Jesus gives amazing, hopeful news. He says there's going to be a great reversal. The disciples' sorrow is going to turn into joy. In fact, the, the reversal that happens is going to be of, of sorrow turned into joy is going to be like a woman giving birth. Now, I am not an expert in these things. Amen? I have observed four births. And, and what I can tell you as a non-expert observer is that childbirth in its process from beginning to end does not look to be a lot of fun. <laughs> okay? Uh, it really looks... Uh, excruciating. I mean, there's, there's sleepless nights, there's heartburn, there's, there's um, weird body temperature fluctuations and, and cravings that go along with it, right? Uh, there's, there's pain as your skin stretches and as that baby pushes down on your hip bones, apparently. There's, then, then you get to the main event, right? You get to delivery day after probably weeks of, of fake contractions. You get to the real deal. And, and what it seems to me as an outside observer is that labor and delivery is a process of sharp, intermittent, increasing pain followed by about an hour or so of complete anguish at the end of which there's a child. 
It's, it does not look to be a great time in the process. But somehow, some of us managed to convince a woman to go through this more than once. <laughs> right? Why? It is because the joy that she has in the child is worth the pain and the suffering of the process to obtain it. Amen? There have been days we have been frustrated with our children, but I don't think that anyone would ever be able to convince Karen or me to give any of them back. Because the joy we have in our children is vastly greater than the difficulty in raising them and in having them. But I think it's no accident that God in the Scriptures causes women to be pregnant for 40 weeks and 40 is the number of testing and trial. Okay? It's a tough process. And if you're a mama, you have my utmost respect. Okay? It's a tough process. But it is a sorrowful thing that turns to joy. And the weeping and the pain and the suffering are immediately transformed into joy. And, the, the, and Jesus tells the, His disciples that what they're about to go through is going to be like that. That they're going to go through unspeakable pain and anguish, and then within 72 hours, their anguish is going to turn to unstoppable joy. Unstoppable joy. Because of the new relationship that they will have with God the Father, that Jesus' resurrection is going to give them. Let's read some more in the text here. Verses 23 to 28. This is what the Scripture says. In that day you will ask nothing of Me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in My name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in My name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Now these verses speak about the new relationship with the Father that Jesus' resurrection brings. If you look closely at verse 23 with me, Jesus says, In that day you will ask nothing of me. And I think here's what he means. That all of the questions that they have right now what is Jesus talking about? A little while and you'll see me, and a little while and you'll see, you won't see me again, and then you won't see me, and I don't, I don't get it. And what's going to the Father? What does that mean? What is all this about? He's saying, in that when the day comes, that all this comes true, you're not going to have questions anymore because you will understand clearly what I've been telling you. Because, by the way, Jesus' death and resurrection is not something that the disciples expected to happen. 
Even though Jesus had told them on multiple occasions about the culmination of His ministry, they did not get it. You know, they say that when it comes to observation that you don't see what you're not looking for. And they were not looking for Jesus to be the kind of Messiah and King who would get crucified and raised from the dead. And so whenever Jesus said that, they just filtered that out of their mind and didn't stick with them until later when they saw it happen and then they went, oh yeah, Jesus said that. In fact, one of the reasons I think the New Testament is true is that the disciples are never presented as all-knowing heroes. If you read it through, you, you get the sense that these guys are kind of bumbling and confused most of the time. And they don't really get it. And by the way, if you're making this up, this story, you don't present yourself as bumbling and confused. You present yourself as a smooth operator who's got it all under control, right? Oh yeah, I knew exactly what Jesus was doing, right? That's not, what, that's not the picture that we get. But Jesus says that there's a day coming when all of the pieces will fall into place, when it will all make sense. Some of y'all who are my age or maybe a little older will remember a movie from the 1980s called The Karate Kid, right? With Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi gets Daniel, and he's going to teach him karate, right? And instead of teaching him karate, he teaches him about how to balance on one leg. And he teaches him how to paint the fence up, down, right? Up, down, right? And then he teaches him how to sand the floor, right? Yeah, Right hand, left hand, right? And, and then he does, you know, wax on, wax off with the car, right? And he's got all these cars, and he wax all the cars. to the wax on this hand, wax off left hand, right? And, and you learn how to do these things, right? And then, and then Daniel's like, man, when am I going to learn how to do karate? When am I going to learn how to punch, right? And he says, all right, now you understand. And he shows him that all of the moves he's been teaching him about, up and down with the paint, right and left and wax on and wax off and all the rest of this kind of thing, that it all fits together. And he was teaching him muscle memory for these things that he would need to do in order to know karate. Right? And then he wins the city championship and beats up the bully. And it's a, it's a great scene. Right? Uh, it's very 1980s kind of a movie. But... But what Jesus is doing is He is telling the disciples there's going to be a day like that when all of a sudden, all the things He's been saying are all going to fit together and they're going to go, Oh! That's what Jesus meant! That's what we've been doing! Who knew? It all fits together. Because Jesus is a master teacher. And He uses in the same verse... Uh, he. Look at the rest of the verse here, verse 23. He uses the same idea of asking of him. He extends that idea a little further to explain how they're going to have not just all their questions answered, but a new relationship with God that they'll be able to approach directly as they come to God in Jesus' name. Look at 
look at the text. It says, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You see, it, these guys are all Jews. And in order to go and ask God for something, you had to go through a priest with a sacrifice to God. And then the priest would go and offer prayers on your behalf in the, in, the holy, in the holy place as they burned incense on the altar of incense in front of the, the, the veil that was between you and the ark, between you and the presence of God. You had to go through a priest. And Jesus is saying, you won't need to do that anymore. You're going to have access to God directly through Jesus. You're going to ask in Jesus' name to the Father directly. You're going to have a new sacrifice, a new priesthood, enabling you to come to God in a new way. And this is a totally new thing. And according to Jesus, God will give them whatever they ask in Jesus' name so that they might have fullness of joy. Now let me be clear on this. Coming to God in Jesus' name means coming on His authority based on, his, based on your relationship with Him and in accordance with His character. Because your name in Scripture is, is the thing that represents the kind of person that you are. Okay? So, you know, frequently in Scripture you see guys get new names. And the reason is, is that their character has changed. And so, for example, Jacob, whose name means cheater, gets a new name later on. Israel, he wrestles with God. Right? And Jacob did. He wrestled with God for his entire life. He, he wrestled with being obedient to what God had called him to do. But he was wrestling with God and not just trying to work it out on his own. According to his own plan, according to his own scheme as he had been before, because he had met the Lord. And so, when we come in Jesus' name, we're coming according to Jesus' character. And we ask for the things that Jesus would want us to ask for, based on our relationship with Him. Asking for the things that Jesus wants for us. This is not how some people take it, a name-it-and-claim-it promise. That, well, as long as I attach Jesus' name to, to satisfy my own desires, well, then I'm going to get it. Right? By the way, God is so good, almost never does He answer a selfish prayer. <laughs> because it's not in accordance with Jesus' character to let you be selfish or let me be selfish. And so if you're praying, oh dear Jesus, help me win the lottery. I'm sorry, but you're probably not going to get that one. All right? hate to be the bearer of, of bad news, but it really is good news. Because Jesus is himself much more reward than the lottery. It's a recognition when you come in Jesus' name. It's a recognition that Jesus has in himself opened a way that God will meet your needs as you enter into your relationship with him. 
And then Jesus goes on to tell them and tell us that this new relationship is better than we could imagine. Uh, in fact, he gives us details on it in verses 25 to 28. If you look at them with me here, Jesus says that, there is, that, that the day is coming. In fact, from their perspective, as this, he speaks these words, it will arrive for them in just four days. When Jesus will be able to speak clearly to them about the Father because they will know His love for the first time. It won't be the kind of relationship merely where they can come to God cloaked in their relationship with Jesus and therefore receive answers to their prayers from God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not saying that I'm going to ask the Father on your behalf. Although Jesus does pray for us. In fact, chapter 17, he prays for us in that whole chapter. But it isn't that we are merely people, we are merely stewards with power of attorney to access what belongs to our Master. Jesus is saying, it's not that I'm just going to ask on your behalf. The Father will answer why. Look at the text. Because He Himself, underline those words, Verse 27, for the Father Himself, what's it say? Loves you. The Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and believed that I came from God. In other words, as you put your trust in Jesus, you get a new relationship with God where God Himself loves you. I don't know about you, how you grew up, what your life was like before you came to faith in Jesus. But in the world we live in today, I know this for a fact, that many people grew up in a world in which they never knew that anybody loved them. That anybody would be there for them no matter what. No matter how they behaved, no matter whether they were always honorable, or whether they were always kind, whether they were always on time and met all their appointments, whether they always delivered or not. Because the world that we live in is very performance-based. If you do for me, then I love you. Jesus says, the Father loves you when you come into relationship with Him through faith in Jesus. And He loves you regardless of who you are or where you've been or what you've been up to. He loves you. He loves you. God will hear our prayers offered in Jesus' name because of our faith in Jesus, A, and B, because He Himself loves us that the father listens to you because he loves you he loves you you need to hear that you need to underline that if you're a teenage girl get out your little sparkly pen and put like flashes around that part of the verse right 
Maybe if, you're, maybe if you're an adult man, you need to do that, right? So you understand that God loves you and He answers your prayers and delights in you because He loves you because of your faith in Jesus. And in verse 28, Jesus tells us that all this is going to happen because His mission of bringing this new relationship between us and the Father is about to be accomplished, and so He is going back to the Father. Remember when He said earlier on that His going back to the Father was going to be a good thing? This is part of that. This is part of what makes that a good thing. That Jesus is going to go back to the Father because it is mission accomplished and the Spirit will come and you will now enjoy a relationship of love between you and the Father because of what Jesus has done. And so it is better for you that He is going away because when He goes away, it is proof that His mission is done. And now you get to receive all of these benefits he's been talking about. About the Spirit coming. About entering into a relationship of love with God the Father. You get to receive these things. And Jesus has victory over the world. In all of this. He says, we're about to see the mission completed because of my victory over the world. Look at verses 29 to 33 here. Rest of the chapter. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you may have tribulation, but you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In one chapter, from right here, Chapter 18, Jesus is going to be arrested, tried, tortured, and put to death. Chapter 18, that's going to begin. And so, Jesus says, the hour is coming. I hope you believe. I'm glad you believe. Do you now understand? They're sure that they understand it now. Jesus, we get it. And he's like, no, you don't really get it. Because the hour is coming. In fact, it's here right now. When you're all going to scatter like rabbits. You're all going to run as far away from me as you can get. Jesus is pushing them into faith. He says, I'm going to be all alone. But not really, because the Father is with me. And I've said these things to you. So that you can have peace. Do they have peace? No. They could. They could. When the arrest and trial of Jesus happens, they could sit back and crack open a cold Coke in their rocking chair and say, and they'd be like, they'd be like, what are you doing? Oh, just wait. This way, something exciting is about to happen. Well, what is it? I can't tell you. 
If I tell you, it'll ruin it. But I'm relaxed about what is going on with Jesus. Because he told me in advance he was going to suffer and die and be raised from the dead. And then through his resurrection, inaugurate a new relationship between me and God. And so I'm just relaxed about what this whole scene is unfolding. Because it's all according to plan. In fact, it's so far according to plan that he told me everything that was going to happen before it did. And so I just have peace. But he tells them so that the opportunity for them to have peace is there. They don't, unfortunately, take it. He says, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. He gives them some hope. Closes this speech with hope. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesus is challenging them not to give up their faith. Not to give up their faith. He says the hour is coming. You're going to scatter. And that time is going to come within a couple of hours at most. From this speech right here. They're going to leave Jesus alone. They're going to flee in fear and in doubt. And Jesus is telling them, don't give up your faith. The Father will be with Jesus, and he won't really be alone. And more than that, he wants them to be at peace. Because trouble is going to come their way, but they don't need to be afraid. They don't need to doubt. Why not? Because Jesus has already overcome the world. The defeat of sin and Satan and death and hell is already on its way. The ball is already rolling. It's already baked in the cake. Jesus is facing down his own execution confidently and already seeing the resurrection as if they have already happened. That's why he says, take heart, I have overcome the world what you call the the prophetic past right that jesus is seeing future events as if they've already occurred because he is that confident knowing that this is going to happen he already knows what's going to happen and he's already living as if and speaking as if he's already on the other side of it i have overcome the world in other words all of the wickedness all of the sin all of the destruction that sin has brought into the world and into the lives of people through the temptation of satan which we enthusiastically embraced and have pursued from generation to generation from the garden of eden up to the present day jesus has already overcome all of that already It's all already over from his perspective. And on his resurrection day, you know what resurrection day is? Resurrection day is D-Day. And the allies have landed. A lot of us aren't old enough to have lived through World War II, but I have studied it because these men who climbed those cliffs and clawed back a continent are some of my heroes. 
can't believe some of the things that they did. Sometime you should read about the boys of Pont du Hoc who shot these grappling hooks up to the top of this cliff and climbed up. And inch by inch fought their way across the hedgerows of Normandy all the way to Eagle's Nest and took down Hitler. Can you imagine? Those ordinary farm boys from places like Iowa and Kansas, Nebraska, Illinois, who did this. June 6, 1944. There was about a year after that of hard slogging. Of bloody, hard, inch by inch, foot by foot, mile by mile fighting. But the outcome was never in doubt. Once the landing took place, the war was over. The enemy just didn't know it yet. Once resurrection took place, once Jesus had suffered and died for sin and then was raised from the dead, victory is declared. And it's all but over. My dad's expression was, when I was growing up, it's all over but the crying. Right? It's all over. Victory is won. But the army of the Lord continues to advance until the day that we get to Eagle's Nest and the enemy is defeated fully and finally. But Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Victory is already won. Victory is already won. I don't know about you, but I want to ask you a question. Do you have unstoppable joy today? Unstoppable joy. I don't know how you're doing today. I don't know whether you're enjoying pleasant circumstances. For me personally, this week was pretty hard. A dear friend of mine, some of you know him, Pastor Brad Reardon, he's been here to preach before. His wife, Johanna, has metastatic uh, uterine cancer. He's a dear friend. I have stayed in Brad and Johanna's house. You might pray for them. Counseled with another friend who's in deep water. Had a friend who, another friend who, whose church is in a mess, and he's been fired. And he was the best thing that church had going. And he's out. Within three months of starting to help them to dig out of the mess. And this week, to be honest, I was really tired. Talked with people, heard their burdens, prayed with them, walked with them. I got to Thursday night, I called Rodney on the phone. I said, Rodney, I'm not going to make prayer meeting this week. And he said, what's going on? I said, man, I'm just under the pile. I got so much work to do, and I'm just so tired. 
So would you guys pray for me? And he said, yeah, brother, we'll do it. We'll pray for you. And the group that gathered on Thursday night prayed for me, and I felt enormously encouraged. I wasn't even there. But the Spirit of God was there, and then he filled me with joy. Next morning, Rodney came to see me and sat in my office and said, Brother, we need to pray. (laughs) So we got together and we prayed again. And you know what? All of that weight that I was carrying around left. Still tired. Still got a lot of work to do. Still walking with friends through painful circumstances. But God has given me joy that is unstoppable, that is not based on my circumstances. You know what it's based on? It's based on the fact that as I pray and seek the Lord, I'm reminded of the fact that He loves me. It's based not on my circumstances, not based on my possessions, not based on anything temporary at all. It is based on a relationship that I have with God who is my Father that Jesus bought for me and bought for every person who believes in Him. Joy comes as I seek the Lord in prayer, through in Jesus' name, according to His character, according to His will. It's based on the fact that Jesus has the victory that He has already won over the world. Joy is the confidence that we have that no matter what happens, no matter what, whether we are facing down the worst things in the world, we know that all of them will one day be consumed in the total victory of the Son of God over the world and all of its corruption. I don't know what you're going through this week. Maybe you have a friend who doesn't want to be with you anymore, doesn't want to even be your friend. Maybe you have a spouse that you're not sure about whether you should be together or not. Maybe you're dealing with your own issues with disease and pain and struggle against the corruption of your body that has come about in our world through sin and all of its effects. I don't know what's going on in your world. Not in all of your worlds anyway. But here's what I know. That because Jesus is victorious over the world, we are never without hope. And therefore, we are never without joy. Our joy does not have to be present uh, and based on our circumstances. It doesn't have to be based on whether everything is going my way. But based on the fact that there is a day coming when Jesus' victory will be total and He will reign and all of this stuff of this life will be wiped away. Amen? All of this stuff will be wiped away. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen? Let's pray. 
Father, we know that there is a long slog ahead until the last enemy is defeated. But we are grateful in the meantime that D-Day has come, that the Son of God has planted His flag of victory over sin and death and Satan and the world and even over our sin nature in our own hearts. He has declared victory over all these things and His victory is sure and certain and coming. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has just been beat down and discouraged and disappointed and troubled and in pain, that today would be the day they remember Jesus' victory. And that they remember that they do, if they have faith in Jesus, have a new relationship with God that Jesus has bought with His blood and certified by His resurrection. And that therefore we can have unstoppable joy that no one can take away from us. Joy that is not based on circumstances, not based on possessions, not based on money, not based on good health, not based on anything that the world depends on in order to give them happiness in life based on the certainty that Jesus Christ will win and that in the meantime the Father loves us and will meet our needs and take care of us in the midst of a troubled world. And Father, we, we pray that every person here might have unstoppable joy in the confident expectation of Jesus' final victory. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.